Good afternoon, you are listening to Resonance 104.4 FM and this is Art Then and Now with me, your host, Anna Gammons. This is the show where we talk about art from the past and then art from the present as a way of understanding how we as humans have expressed ourselves through time. Now, our theme this week is bold colour and distinct form and joining me in the studio very soon is visual artist Brian Parker, who's got an exhibition coming up in London in October titled The Journey So Far, It's All About Me. So you can look forward to that. But in the meantime, I'm going to talk you through the infamous pop art movement because it's a term that's thrown around a lot and I thought it would be very appropriate to talk about um, some of the most famous images of bold colour and distinct forms throughout the time before we lead nicely into our chat with Brian. So the theme of the show, bold colour and distinct form, I thought what better to talk about than the pop art movement. And for those of you who have heard the term pop art and thought maybe that just means popular art. I mean, you are right. You're not wrong. Um, (laughs) But it is a distinct movement that kind of it happened around the 1950s, mainly in the United States and America. And it celebrated all things in popular culture. And that included things such as comic books, advertising campaigns, and also sort of more mundane and everyday objects too, which were elevated through art to sort of prove a bit of bit of a point to the art world, which I will go into in a little bit more detail in a sec. But as I said, used kind of motifs of our everyday life, banal subject matters, if you like, and elevated them. It's challenging the traditional and elitist practice of fine artists at the time where you were expected to follow a certain sort of uh, line of thought as an artist and train at certain academies and schools and then go and become um, an expert in your field. But it's also challenging the idea of abstract expressionism, which at the time was kind of the new hot thing. And uh, pop artists saw it as a little bit self-indulgent. So they thought, right, you know what, let's reject this artistic and cultural elitism. And we're going to really simplify things down almost as a kind of parody on the everyday lives in the United States and in the UK. And what came of that was sort of this more mechanical and simplified technique of painting, which emulated the mass consumerism and production of that was going on at the time in the 1950s. It's just after the war. Everyone's kind of got a new sort of um, exuberance for life, shall we say. Um, things are no longer dark and dingy. They're kind of looking up. And that is sort of, um, it was a very fertile environment for new artistic movements, including pop art. But this included images, you know, from advertising and things of everyday consumption, such as labels and logos and things. The really, really ordinary things that we see in our everyday lives were sort of elevated. They were put on display. They were put in galleries. They were painted by really well-known artists of the day. So that's why it was called pop art, popular art. Um, a massive rejection. It's sort of a almost sarcastic look at the uh, the art world at the time. And again, you know, they're bringing it back down to earth and rejecting the so-called high art. Uh, in the UK, it was Richard William Hamilton that sort of brought the pop art movement to the attention of uh, of the populace, I suppose. Um, and his really, really famous piece, 1956, called Just What Is It That Makes Art... T- uh, sorry, Just What Is It That Makes Homes Today So Different, So Appealing, uh, is the most probably the most famous example of his work. And essentially what he did was cut out from magazines, American magazines, uh, different forms and... Uh, 
from photographs and as I said um, from adverts in magazines and created this sort of um, home setup where there's a guy who's an American bodybuilder he looks like he might be um, the husband and then there's a lady sort of erotically reclining shall we say on the sofa uh, but it's also kind of surrounded by these ideas of sort of consumerism, consumerism and culture in America so for example, the floors, it's, it's like a new laid floor, which he's obviously cut out of a magazine. And that was the floor that was used in a Hoover advert at the time. And it, there's a, a new TV in the background too. And there's film posters and movie posters too. So it's really sort of uh, coming to terms with this idea of what mass consumerism means and what kind of being commercial means and what pop art is really all about. It was widely criticised at the time because people thought it was just um, a bit sarcastic, a bit of a take uh, and sort of mocking uh, the everyday lives of people at the time, which it kind of was. But it was also trying to reject the idea of what art should be or what was considered high art at the time. Um, so there's also the 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 title actually came from the uh, a copy in an advert, sorry, that said, just what is it that makes today's home so different, so appealing? Open planning, of course, and a bold use of colour. So that was the advert that was, it was taken from the title. And you can sort of see this really sarcastic take on what is it that makes the perfect American or British household. It's all of these items that you just simply must buy, uh, all this new stuff you need. So yeah, it's definitely a sarcastic take. And I do not think I can go much further talking about pop art without talking about Perhaps the king of pop art, Mr. Andy Warhol, um, probably one of the most famous members of the pop art movement. And uh, I spoke about in my show a few weeks ago, a few months ago, in fact, in The Art of Eth uh, Ethics, I analysed Andy Warhol's soup cans or Campbell's soup cans from 1962. That was a series of 32 soup cans of different Campbell flavours, such as I think that was cream of mushroom, chicken. I mean, there's 32 of them. I'm not going to reel them all off. but uh, And they were individually painted and then displayed in a gallery, sort of stacked on shelves as if they were sort of uh, ready to purchase in a convenience store. So again, kind of mocking the way that we absorbed imagery at the time and, and kind of saying, look, you know, we see so much of this culture at the moment we're all about immediacy we're all about buying things we don't really need so I'm going to elevate something that we see every day into the realms of art and so again very controversial at the time but has now become one of the most iconic images of the pop art movement and it was this it was his very kind of flat I guess you could say use of color that was sort of rejected the idea of as I said the high art that was sort of about this sort of kind of oil and painterly processes uh, Andy Warhol was like no 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 I'm going to make this sort of a, me a mechanized process it's going to be flat and as if as if the work had been printed like labels were printed for those consumer products in which he was painting so you can see the kind of ties in there and again part of the reason it was so uh, controversial at the time was because it just didn't look like anything people had seen that well Actually, the irony is that it did look like things people had seen, but only in the supermarkets, not in a gallery. Very, very interesting. So it was a really bold disregard for the way that art had been made up until that point. And also, I'm sure you guys know the Marilyn series of 1967, a very, very famous uh, series of bold prints. Uh, they kind of use this idea of bold colouring and simplified lines to depict the commercial star. And it was really, really this bold use of colour and the simple lines that are so 
iconic of the pop art movement. They grab your attention in the same way that commercial products might grab your attention. So again, trying to make kind of art look a bit more mundane um, and really, really feed into that idea of what it was, uh, elevate the um, the ordinary to the extraordinary, which I thought was really, really interesting. And one thing I found fascinating was at the same time that artists were emulating adverts and using adverts and sort of things on packaging in their artwork, the advertisers and you know heading these campaigns sort of noticed what was happening and sort of almost in a in a kind of response started to sort of use that to their advantage and integrated the art that was emulating them into their products too so they sort of had this dialogue happening really where uh, <laughs> advertisers were sort of savvy to the fact the art world what the art world was doing and the art world had to try and find new and exciting ways of presenting the mundane and also differentiate themselves from what actually were adverts because you know people were looking at the artwork and looking at advertising and they're kind of the world's emerging into one so artists had to try and be a little bit more creative which I thought was so interesting um in the USA, the movement really hit stride in the 1960s. And I want to talk a bit about Liechtenstein because well, Liechtenstein, as I think it's probably pronounced uh, my accent, not very good there, but you have to cut me some slack. But yes, he was kind of a really, really key figure in the movement and uh, really sort of uh, kind of famous for his comic-like portrayal of the of kind of art and everyday life again he's kind of parodying everyday life with his um with his as i said comic like uh depictions of what was going on and um yeah so he a great example of the pro- kind of progression into creating something a bit more dramatic to kind of differentiate himself from what advertisers were doing so he thought right you know what i need a subject matter that's a bit more out there it's a bit more dramatic it's a bit more emotional perhaps uh, because adverts are just the artwork's looking too much like the adverts for his liking so he creates these sort of emotive comic strips that are very much a parody on what's going on in the life um at that time but he uses these sort of bold lines precise compositions and sort of really really flat color um, to sort of tell these stories and parodies of modern society. His 1963 Drowning Girl was taken from a story uh, from DC Comics called Secret Hearts, uh, sorry, sorry, called Secret Hearts, and it uses very thick outlines and what's called the Day dot approach. So you've probably seen in Liechtenstein's work, and I guarantee you've definitely seen it if you're not sure. Um, definitely look it up, you'll recognise it for sure. But the little dots are essentially his way of saying, this is what print looks like when you print something in a magazine or in a, in a newspaper, for example. You get these little dots that are um, left over from the printing process and that's just the small dots of color essentially how you print things so he's like right okay i'm going to take this to the next level i'm going to use flat color like printing i'm going to use the printing that comics use uh, or i'm going to emulate the printing method that comics use and that's where these dots come from as well as these bold lines use of primary colors as well and also the speech bubble captions which are really interesting the one in drowning girls captions I don't care. I'd rather sink than call Brad for help, uh, which makes a really kind of uh, interesting critique on the moral outlook and sort of the vanity of modern culture uh, and potentially the sort of um, how juvenile kind of um, like teenagers can be. Relationships are in a world that sort of feels void of um 
of, of kind of morality just after the war as well. So there's an irony and a humour in his pieces as well. I was actually really lucky to see one of Lichtenstein's pieces at the Tate Modern Exhibition Media Networks earlier this year. And it was a piece called, it was the piece called Wham! So very onomatopoeic uh, and it's essentially an American sh- American airplane who's who's bombed an enemy uh, sky vessel and the words wham are in huge letters um, and the caption reads I press the fire control and ahead of me rockets blaze through the sky I was going to try and do that in an American accent but that would have <laughs> that gone really badly considering my German pronunciation I won't try American um, and so there's kind of this resulting explosion that happens Um, But once again, he's used that bende dot process as well. And the most interesting thing I found about this work was its scale. So Lichtenstein uses a large scale that is normally reserved at the time for more kind of high art, these history paintings, the narrative paintings and religious paintings. And he sort of says, no, no, I'm not going to just let you have the large scale paintings in these galleries. I'm going to present kind of obnoxiously uh, my rendition of what I think high art is too. So as I said, history paintings are usually traditionally used um, for these larger canvases as well. Um, But in a sense, he's used a really sort of um, dramatic uh, subject matter to present in this way. Um, and he's sort of rejecting the style of the old masters, but also embracing the way that they painted on these huge scales as well. So I thought it was interesting. It was almost like a modern history painting, true. Um, sorry, as well. And it sort of also parodied the juvenile fertility, um, futility of war, which I also thought was really, really interesting too. I hope you enjoyed that mini rundown on the movement that utilises bold colour and distinct forms and is still referenced in much of today's art. Now, if you're anything like me and you're always looking for exciting new exhibitions in London to go and see, well, you're in luck because I have artist Brian Parker here in the studio and he is going to tell me about his up-and-coming exhibition. Hi, Brian. Hi, Anna. Hi, how are you doing? I'm good. Good, it's lovely to have you here. So your exhibition, it's your first solo show, is that right? No. Oh, it's not your first solo <laughs> show. Oh, I'm so sorry. No, it's all right. Uh, that, that was in one of the press things. It's right, my right. first solo in London. Right, I uh, see. But I've okay. probably done five or six solos okay. elsewhere. Okay, so you are not new to this, but um, you're making your debut in London, which is very exciting. Brian's show is called The Journey So Far, It's All About Me, and will be on from the 7th to the 12th of October at the Royal Opera Arcade Gallery. Um, so we'll talk about that. Uh, I'll remind you again where you can go and see it, but why don't you give the listeners a little teaser about what they can expect to see at your exhibition? Oh, where to start? <laughs> um, it's it's a, a, an example, a retrospective look at the work I've been doing over the last 10 years or so. I started right. painting 10 years ago. Okay. Um, and um, I kind of hit the ground running and started exhibiting within about three or four months of starting to paint. Oh, wow. So clearly um, very talented. <laughs> and... Uh, we're going to come on to talk to it later, I think, about David Hockney. Yes, we will. Yeah, he, yeah. He's been an inspiration to me because he became financially independent very early in his career. Mm. And he was able to just take the attitude, well, I can do whatever I want. So he did. So yeah. he, he would get obsessed with something, you know, painting yeah. California pools or Instagram photographs. And he would just mm. do that for three or four years. Because he could. Yeah, <laughs> and then do something else. Yeah, when yeah. I started painting, I just retired. Right, well, not just, but nearly. 
Um, yeah, you've had quite a few different careers as well, which we're going to talk about. Yeah, so I didn't, I, I, I didn't need to make a living out of it. So I was in yeah. the sort of same position on a sort of lower level mm. as Hockney. I could do whatever I liked. Sure. So what happens with me is I t I, something catches my eye. Um, and, it, it, you know, it might be my wardrobe, mm. which has no doors. So you see all the things hanging up in it. <laughs> Uh, I would not want that in my house. Mine is a mess. <laughs> or, you know, it might be uh, a scene from Japan or mm. something from around where I live, mm. uh, apartment blocks, that yeah. sort of thing. Um, and I tend to get obsessed temporarily yeah. with whatever it is, and I have yeah, to paint yeah. that. Sure. So there's, there's, there's no particular thing that I paint. There's a... There's a a way of looking, okay. a style of a painting. Style. A very recognisable style, which, you know, I've obviously done my research, I've looked at your work, and a very unique um, and interesting style, which I do want to talk a little bit more about in a second, because I think that that probably comes from your background, uh, which we're going to talk about. But I also wanted to hit the title of the exhibition, The Journey So Far, It's All About Me. Obviously, this exhibition is part of that journey. Yeah. Where did that name come from? Talk me through that title. Uh, well, I think... The initial part of it, the journey so far, mm. was just a, a summary of what the exhibition was about. Right. It's my journey as an artist over the last 10 years. That it's all about me is I tend to like to have a, a, a bit of humour in my exhibition titles <laughs> or a pun or something like that. See, I didn't you know? know if it was sarcastic or funny or not. I wasn't well, sure. Well, <laughs> I think the idea is not to take yourself too seriously. Great. You know, because it, it's agree. a stock phrase, isn't it? Oh, it's all yes. about me. Yeah, yeah, Whereas yeah. in fact it's not, but it's all my work and yeah. some of it is about me. Yeah, um, yeah. So I like to be a little tongue-in-cheek about that sort of thing. <laughs> and if it gives people a chuckle, yeah, yeah, then yeah. they'll remember it. Well, I couldn't work better. out. I was like, well, he's either one of two things. He's either, you know, I mean, slightly arrogant or he's making a joke and it's funny. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but I thought it was a really well, great title regardless. I think uh, anybody who knows me would know yeah, yeah. which one it was. Sure. But, uh, yeah, there's got to be a little bit of ego. Agree. Involved, I mean, know. this is a solo show, of course. It's, yeah. um, you know, absolutely. Now, you've got 39 um, of your artworks that you've been painting over the last 10 years. What was it that that made it now? Why was it? Why is this happening now of all of all times? What, the exhibition? Yeah, yeah. What made you kind of decide that this was the time to <laughs> debut in London? Well... I, you know, I started painting, I started exhibiting, I started going in for competitions locally in Essex. Mm. Uh, and I think for the first eight years, seven or eight years or so, I was quite happy doing shows there, establishing a reputation, getting known, working my way into the, you know, the, the <laughs> business of being a, an artist. Yeah. Um, and then... Uh, it's probably coming up for about three years ago now. I did uh, a thing called the Flux Exhibition right. at Chelsea College of Art, which was a, it's a kind of an art fair sort of thing. Uh, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. I think um, I and because I thought, you know, I need to, I need to start hitting London. Mm -hmm. You know, um, I mean, That's my, where it's happening. <laughs> well, yeah. I, I mean, I, I'm trying to establish a reputation as a serious painter who's respected for what he does mm. and 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 the, the personal vision that I bring to art because mm -hmm. it's different you know mm -hmm. there's, I don't think there's anybody painting quite like me no um so um I met somebody there gave me a few emails of people he thought I might like to contact 
and uh, I did, and I got a couple of responses, and I started doing openings in London. Mm. Um, and I've, over the last two years, I've done lots of competitions and open art calls. I've uh, been a finalist in quite a lot, you know, yeah. Sunday Times, watercolour thing, and, and there was an awesome. exhibition called It's Art Call that, that, in, um, that was in Holland Park. Yeah. And the thing is, uh, I'm no spring chicken. <laughs> I, I, well, I, you've had many careers, as we'll talk about. <laughs> but I'll be 70 on my next birthday. Right. So I have limited time left. Sure, now now, I'm now gonna make, So I have to get on with it, mm. you know, so... Mm. Um, the next logical step was a, a solo, mm -hmm. so I started looking around for somewhere to do it, and Amazing. I spent the last six months, you know, preparing for the damn yeah. thing. Yeah, oh uh, my goodness, isn't it? And then, it, you know, even though it's it's five days, but it's still like, or it's six, six, seven to the twelve, seventh, anyway, yeah, uh, <laughs> it still feels like you've been building up to this for so. I mean, ten years not even six months, 10 years is, is really what you've been building for. But I do want to talk a bit about your background because you have a very interesting background for an artist. You've got a PhD in chemical engineering, is that right? That's right. Right. Yeah. So, yeah. I mean, how on earth do you go from chemical engineering to being an artist? <laughs> well, when I was at school, uh, I could have taken either direction. Yeah. When, I was, when I was a kid, when I was about six, I decided I wanted to be a research chemist. Right. And that meant I had to go to university. Okay. Somehow okay. or other, I knew that at six. I don't know how I knew that, but I did. Right. Um, but... Uh, during my sort of childhood and teenage years, I, I did a bit of drawing and painting and stuff, and I was interested in art, and I went to exhibitions. Mm. But, you know, at 16, you've got to part the ways. You've got to either do art or do science. Yeah, which feels very young to make that kind of call, I always think. Well, <laughs> I th at the time, I didn't feel that I could be creative to order, mm. you know, on, on a, like, everyday sort of sure. thing, which you need to be. Yeah. And I thought, if I do science, I'll eat. Yeah. You know. Yeah, uh, it's certainly more and, stable. And... I mean, it was something I was really interested in anyway. Mm. So, uh, so I got into uh, Bradford University, did chemical engineering, which turned out to be because uh, my grades weren't good enough for research chemist, but they were good enough for You're chemical engineering. You're too busy drawing in class. <laughs> well, no, it just um, it just turned out to be the right thing because it, it's a kind of very loose uh, mm. engineering. Uh, there's, most engineers and sciences, there's one answer. Mm. Chemical engineering, no. There's usually half a dozen different answers, and you, okay. you try and pick the one that's most efficient or economical. Mm. So, which was great for me because yeah. you know I'm creative, loose. Yeah, 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 for um, sure. So, so then, but then uh, uh, I think yeah. During the first term at university, there was a notice on the notice board. Some management students were going to organise the first Bradford Arts Festival, and they were looking for volunteers. Right. And they were going to have a meeting, so I went along to that, and uh, they were like, well, you know, what can you do? You know, what are you interested in? <laughs> and I said, all right. So I became the exhibition secretary. Amazing. <laughs> uh, well, there you go. You kind of inserted yourself into both worlds then, I guess. <laughs> well, from then on, yeah, a lot. I mean, as part of that, I met Hockney uh, mm. for... I spent a couple of days with him on and off. Yes. Yeah, um, yeah. But I also met my first real love in my life, who was a lecturer at the art college. Right, okay. So for the next four or five years, I was practically an art college student as well as a 
university student. Right. Okay. Got it. Wait. She, so she, he or she was a teacher at the she, time. She, she was, was a teacher. Yeah. Right, she just started her first year at Bradford. She'd just come out of college. And you're college. a student, eh? No oh, deep. <laughs> uh, so yeah. Amazing. Um, and that got me involved in all sorts of. Yeah. Arty things, as did the arts festival. Okay, and then you decided to come back to it after you'd you've had your career in in chemical engineering, obviously been a success. And then well, to... I always felt that you know when I made that decision, I always thought one day when I retire, mm. I'll go back to university and get a fine art degree. Right. Okay. And that's what I st- set out to do. Yes. So I did an access course for a year, mm. and it's while I was doing that course. The feedback from the tutors and the other students made me realise I had a talent mm-hmm. that I could paint, you know, yeah. and I, could, I, I, I was talented. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so I went on to do the, the fine art degree and packed it in after a year mm. because it wasn't doing anything for me at all. Right, I see, yeah. And just got and stuck into arting. Amazing. You know. Well, it's a good job that you did do that. And I also want to say, because your your background in science, I imagine, has some impact on the way that you work. And I know your work is sort of, it does, <clears throat> excuse me, it does concentrate on um, kind of distinct colours, lines and forms. And, and geometry plays a massive part in that. So I'd love you to talk more about that. Has that influenced you, your background in science? I think so, yeah. I think I tend to have a... You know, my training makes me analytical. Mm. I'm always looking for whys and hows and <laughs> how does it work. Yeah. Um, and I, th- I guess that informs my artistic practice, yeah, as we yeah, artie yeah. types say. Uh, <laughs> I think also, uh, you know, there are influences. Um, when I was first getting interested in art in the 60s, um, there was a lot of screen printing. Mm. And back then, it wasn't digital or photographic, so mm. things had to be kept simple. You could only use three or four colours. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I, I like that. I like that minimalism. I like the sharp distinction between one colour and another. So I think mm. that that comes out in it. Yeah, for And sure. Toulouse-Lautrec, you know, I love his simplification. of Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and posterite. I, I liked, you know, posters. Mm-hmm. Um, and whilst there's no particular thing that directly influences me, I've got, I've, there's lots of influences yeah. there. Um, and as I say, I, I just see a composition and I think that would make a great painting. Yeah, absolutely. And, then, and they're very much scenes of the everyday as well, aren't they, which you talked about too. Some of so them you are, are yeah. influenced by your surroundings a lot. Yeah, um, it's kind of. Yeah, it's kind of opportunity, really, to a certain extent. I mean, by the time I started painting, I've been living in my house for years. Mm. And I've been looking at things, you know, sitting on the loo, uh, looking at the <laughs> Where bath- all good ideas come from? Well, no, <laughs> or the shower. <laughs> looking at my bathroom mirror and the, the uh, Swiss cheese plant yes. in there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, uh, and when I wake up in the morning, if the curtains are drawn, sunlight comes in and catches the T-shirts and things in my wardrobe. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, you paint the things that are around you. So yeah, yeah, when yeah. I came to paint, I thought... You know, for you, I think that would make a great painting one day. So when mm. I started painting, that's what I painted. You just had this kind of catalogue of ideas to, to draw from. Um, that is fascinating. I love that you kind of use things around you as well. I, I suppose that most creative people are influenced by their surroundings. So um, I guess you're a typical artist in that sense. Now, I do want to go back to David Hockney because you can't mm. mention David Hockney without explaining more about that. So <laughs> I'm really interested. How how did you come to know him? What, how's your relationship with him <laughs> change the way you do things or has it changed the way you do things? I, I think it informs the way I do stuff. Um, basically, 
uh, one of the ex- for the arts festival we organised I think nine exhibitions and one of those was Hockney's first retrospective mm. back in his hometown of Bradford. Right, I see. Yes, which is where you're. F- you're not. No, I'm from Blackburn. But, Blackburn. Uh, okay, okay, okay. But um, and uh, I had I was involved in organising the exhibition. And he was coming up both to visit his parents and to have a look at the gallery and this and that. Right. And, and I was told, well, you have to look after him for a day. <laughs> well, I was 19. To babysit Hogney. <laughs> yeah. Well, by that point, I was 19. Yeah. I was, I was really, you know, I wasn't, I wasn't really, didn't have the maturity sure. of a 19-year-old, really. Yeah. And yeah. I was like, what? What are we going to do? So um, <laughs> we met in the afternoon, him and his old drawing tutor and me, and we had fish and chips on uh, one of the cafes near the university and spent a couple of hours chatting and stuff. And I was supposed to look after him in the evening. <laughs> uh, I thought... And I'd seen him on TV. He was one of the first gay people to come out, mm. you know, because yeah, it had yeah. just become legal. Yeah. And... Um, but I'd never met a gay person that I was aware of. <laughs> right. Uh, because you didn't back then. You know, yeah, people yeah. kept it secret. Sure, yeah. So I thought, well, what do I do? And there was a, 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 a drag queen review bar in one of the pubs in town. <laughs> <laughs> you thought, I know, I know who I'll might t- like to I'll go t- to that. So I took him to that. <laughs> and um, I think he was amused. I think Amazing. he found me amusing, um, you know. Um, and... And I can't remember much about it. You know, it's 50 years ago. Yeah, but yeah. Uh, because of that, I followed his career. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and he's a sort of role model for me. Fantastic. That is absolutely very interesting. And I think you can see the influence of Hockney too in your work in some respects. And uh, the way you interact um, with light and colour is, is really interesting too. So, uh, right, you can see uh, Brian's exhibition at the Royal Opera Arcade Gallery in Pall Mall between the 7th and the 12th of October. It's called The Journey So Far... It's all about me. Brian, thank you so much for talking to me today. That is unfortunately all we have got time for on the show. Um, for any of the images discussed in today's show, please visit the Facebook site at the Art Then and Now show. Uh, you've been listening to Resonance 104.4 FM and this has been me, Anna Gammons, with Art Then and Now. Join me next week at 3.30.